good to be here. Good to be able to share the Word of God with you. And that leads me to the awesome privilege and the difficult question of asking, okay, what do I share? God, what do I share? What, what is it? Where, do, where are we up to? What is the message that you want us to hear? And um, if you've been around this place a little while, you've probably already heard me share things like the fact our God is a missionary God. Don't know if you've really actually considered the fact that our God chose to be a missionary. Um, there's a quote, I think it's J. Herbert Cain said, God only had one son and he made that son a missionary. Jesus left heaven to come to us. A foreign, a very, the most foreign culture to what he'd known in a perfect relationship. Um, God is a missionary God. I could spend hours and hours talking about the Bible being a missionary book. Um, yes, it's a history book. Yes, it's got teachings in there. Yes, there's so many different other things that we see in the Word, but primarily, from front to back, we see that it's a missionary book of the story of God loving the people of this world and making a way so that they could come to know Him. I could spend an hour or more talking about the local church being the missionary sending body. If you look and if you think about it, nobody else is qualified. God did not call great theological universities to send missionaries. That's not the way it works. God didn't call missionary agencies to send missionaries. That's not why they exist either. God has called the local church to be the one that sends missionaries. And sometimes they use missionary agencies in partnership and that's an awesome thing. But we're the ones called for that privilege. I could spend time talking about a disciple of Jesus being a missionary. Not only in, in the example of the 12 apostles who ended up in all sorts of nations, a, a ridiculous number amongst them, like probably between the 12 of them, probably 40 or 50 different countries they visited, which is phenomenal considering there was no cars and no aeroplanes and, and very slow ships. We could, talk, we could look again at a missionary mandate on our movement that we as a church want to send and have a presence in every nation by 2045. And that's a great thing as well. I could quote this guy, which I don't know if you can quite see, but John Piper says, when it comes to missions, there's three types of people. Those who go, those who send, or those who disobey. He, he's very blunt like that. Um, and 
this is true. But then I also have to stop and ask, how do we explain that? What do we as a church, our church, your church? Because John Piper's words, as I say, are true. But if they're not delivered in a message of grace, which he certainly does, but so I don't want to, I'm not trying to misquote him, by the way. If they're not delivered within and wrapped up in the message of grace, then they're a condemnation on why aren't you doing enough? On, hey, you've got an obligation and you're not doing it, that's bad, and it's a condemnation. And that's not where we're at as a church, and it's not where the Word of God is at either. It's, it, the Word of God is strong on that. There is a privilege, there is an obligation, but there's something that goes alongside that, which is what we want to see. Um, so then I had to look, well, how do, how do we say this? And so a wise man once told me that, well, no, not a wise man, somebody once told me that if you quote from one person, it's called plagiarism. If you, if you quote from lots of different people, it's called referencing, and that's a very good thing. So I wondered what this guy might have to say about the issue. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, did you hear last week when he said that, well, hang on, you've got an obligation to forgive, and that's not our reason for forgiving? That made me, that, that pricks my ears up, and I go, oh, wait, hang on, really? He pointed out to us that we can, we're able to walk in forgiveness because we need a compassion for the people. We need a compassion for the person who's hurt us or done wrong by us to be able to forgive, and that compassion is found in Christ, even in spite of what else is going on. And so um, this is an important thing that we need to, to find, figure out. Then I thought of some other great theologian that I could um, quote from. And I remember Jamie sharing about his work at Gilgawi. And I know Jamie, I've known him for years. We've shared houses, we've got up to lots of mischief and all sorts of things. And I've always known he's had a big, strong burden for the lost. He loves it when people turn to Jesus. And that's a real passion of his. And it's infectious and that's a great gift that we as a church have. A guy like that who's so passionate about it. And he shared about this heart to reach kids with a lot than, and them to know Jesus. And he realized that, well, hang on, hang on. I needed, he needed to stop and step back and realize that he wasn't actually putting it into practice or basing it on love. Others outside observers probably would have said that he was, but he, needed, he realized that he needed to focus more on loving the kids and so from 
compassion and love, we, we see this wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And so, Mission Sunday, how do we get more involved in missions? We've got to get our head around the fact that we're called to love. We're called to have a compassion on people. And so, for some, to quote somebody else, some of you may or may not know Ken Legg. Um, he, if, you, if you've seen any of his stuff, there's a Foundations book we've done. Uh, there's a, he's done counselling courses, books on grace, grace Roots. He's a pastor up in Brisbane. And in January, he's going to be in Narendra doing a week-long um, summer Bible school. So check it out. The brochures are up the back called Anchored. Um, as a young adults group, we've been looking at some of his stuff. And so now I do actually want to directly quote. Um, because, yeah, it's not plagiarism. Um, last week we looked at Jeremiah. And, and I want to explain a bit about a bit about Jeremiah. And I don't know if you've heard him called the weeping prophet. That was something I'd never really got my head around until this a fairly helpful summary that we found. He prophesied to his people for about 60 years, about, sorry, about 60 years after Isaiah for 40 years. Uh, and his message wasn't a very help, helpful message. It was a warning about the captivity of Judah by the Babylonians. And then it happened. In, in 597, God's word came to pass and Jer Jerusalem was taken by Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and the Jews went back to Babylon. Now, 11 years later, the captivity was complete. So that's it, how long this um, thing went on. A few poor folk remained in the land, and Jeremiah remained with them. He warned them not to go down to Egypt, but they disobeyed. Jeremiah went with them. So he's warned them not to go, because he knows it's going to be bad, but he goes with them anyway to continue his ministry in sharing with them. And this, and this is the last we read of him in the Old Testament. Tradition has it that he was stoned to death. Now, Jeremiah was faithful to God and his people. A prophet is a representative for God. But Jeremiah wasn't only focused on God. He was focused on God fully and wholly, and that's a, a good thing. But he was a man with a dual sympathy. He also had this great compassion to, his, to the people. To God and the people. His work was more than a job or a duty to him, as missions must be for us. He was emotionally involved in the people's faith. That's why he was called the weeping prophet. Um, 
finding that heart to love is hard. And so it's easy when we think about it or we hear about it once or twice and we go, oh yeah, I can love. And then (laughs) the weeks, the months, the years keep rolling by and we keep on getting called to love and it keeps on being hard. Sorry, Micah, is this one? Doesn't like me again. Do you want to go to the next one? There we go. So we have Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Um, so how to love, how to keep on loving. Leg, as <laughs> quotes or references T.L. Osborne, I think it is, pointing out the fact that we have to be absolutely convinced People who don't know Jesus are lost. Um, This guy, Pastor Barry Silverback, has a set of notes called How Lost Are the Heathen? And it's a good six-hour Bible college lecture, so I'm not unfortunately going to be able to take the time to go through that with you, even though I would recommend it at some stage. But to actually stop and ask ourselves more than just the flirting thought you know what about the guy that's lived in the African jungle all his life and how can God judge him because he never knew Jesus you can say well in the last couple of hundred years people have gone there but what about the 1800 years before that I don't we don't we're not going to go through all the references that show us that Jesus is the only way. The only hope of salvation. Your only hope. My only hope. Um, there's other bits that talk about how all creation bears witness to his name. And essentially it boils down to each one of us is responsible for the light that we have received. And you and I have received a lot of light. And that's why we've come to that wonderful understanding of Jesus as our Savior. Other people might not have had it so plainly told to them. They might not know that Christmas is when we remember Jesus' birth. Or Easter is when we remember the King of Kings dying in my place. But an unsaved person is in a state of the absent, a total absence of the favor of God, an endless disturbance of life because of a domination of sin. Pain and suffering in body and soul. And then there's lots of references of what eternity will be like. And it's hard to stop and say that's the result for these people who don't know Jesus. 
But we actually have to front up to that and say, no, heaven is real and it's hell is real as well. People need to know him. And so to be able to love, we have to, and keep on loving, we have to know Jesus is the only way. We're also called to know that and to know the the value of a soul. God is well aware that there was no hope except through his son and that's why he sent his son. Because you are valuable. Because I am valuable. And because the one who doesn't know him yet is valuable. They were created in his image. In his likeness he made them. And he said it is good. It is very good, in fact. God loves so much that throughout the Bible history we see all these circumstances working so that men and women could hear about him. You and I are called to understand the people around us are valuable. Yes, we have to know they're lost, and that's a terrible thing, but at the same time we have to know that they are worth it, because they're worth it to God. He cares about them so much, so, so much. It's a wonderful thing to remember that he cares about me. But we've got to remember that they were created in his image. That they have a capability for good and for evil. And the choice to make themselves. That they have a duration of life. Time on this earth is not endless. Their life will end and they will be called to account and we need to get to them first with his love. We need to know something people in doing high school scripture and even primary school scripture sometimes, kids are getting the fact that God loves them. They they hear this message, whether it's through Facebook memes or, or the, the three, three minutes they might listen to about Easter or Christmas or at a funeral or at a wedding or whatever, they get Jesus died for sins so that they could be forgiven. Sometimes they forget the cost, though. It's easy to say Jesus died for my sins, but it's harder to realize that he actually gave up his life for me. Um, And that I have to do something about my sins, which he has made the way for. We have to realize that this soul, this person, is causing a battle in the heavenlies. There is a struggle Because God wants them. And the enemy wants them too. And God calls us to be his participants. 
his co-laborers, his co-heirs, his sons, doing the work of our Father. The third conviction that the lost need saving, we need to know the value of a soul. And the third point Leg makes is we've got to have a concern for them. We've actually got to love them. And he highlights all the times that Jesus showed concern for the people. It's a great manly Bible verse to quote that Jesus wept. And if you look into it, he was actually only weeping because Lazarus had died, whom he was about to raise back to life. After he deliberately said, no, Lazarus is sick, I'm not going to go there for another day or two, till he's really, really dead. So Jesus wept out of love for a guy because everybody else was weeping because he died and he'd been in the tomb four days and then he says, hey, Lazarus, come out. And a whole bunch of other verses there too. You and I have this privilege to love, a calling to love. It's a hard call sometimes. Um, there are people that are different. As one of our high school scripture teachers decided, described it in a high school year group, they become the easy target because human nature is to um, build up myself by tearing others down, especially the different ones. Why should we love the different ones? It's easier to love our neighbours that think the same as us, that you know, get on the same as us, that drive cars like us, that have jobs like us and work hard like us. How can we love the ones that don't bother getting a job? The lazy ones. The ones who broke into houses and stole stuff from people like me. And now they're in jail, so why should I love them? They deserve to be there. Surely, that's justice. Yet we're called to love. I want us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, which we don't have a slide for. One Corinthians chapter one, verses eight to ten, we see a partnership in the gospel. Some more people different to us. One Corinthians one eight. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. 
Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. So when I started off by saying we're going to look at the partnership in God's commission. Here in those few verses, we see two different partnerships. And it highlights two themes that you've heard from our preaching all year. Earlier in the year, we were talking about unity and the joy and the strength and the power of unity. And this verse would have been quoted several times about working together, being of one heart with each other. And that's glorious. But there's also another partnership there. The fact we are called to be partnering with Christ. So the strength, the challenge, the power to do it, it's all with Christ. To be able to go or to send, it's with Christ. To be able to love or to pray or to give or to do whatever it is that we're feeling God's call on our lives to do, it's because of this partnership with Christ. And that, my friends, is a real joy. It is a real privilege to think that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords wants you. That being an ambassador for Christ, 1 Corinthians 5, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 20 or 19, is an ambassador for the King. To being a, a commissioned soldier is going out as part of being sent by somebody, formally given a rank. So a commissioned soldier of Australia. Well, you and I have been commissioned by the king, the real king of the whole universe. And oh, what a joy it is. Other verses. Paul talks to the Philippians about how they had been partnering with him in spreading the gospel from the first time that you heard about it until now. The Philippian church had then partnered with Paul to go to other places. Again in Philippians chapter 2, he says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's God working in us. But we've got to let him do that work. We've got to get into his word so he can speak to us. We've got to continue in fellowship so that his people can inspire and challenge us. We've got to make ourselves open and available to hearing from our king. How can we do this stuff called evangelism or world missions? Because it's what God's about. It's who he is. It's what his book is about. It's what his son is about. But we don't have to do it on our own. We do it because the people around us are lost. Without hope. 
but they are valuable. We have a privilege of partnering with God, being his workers, servant sons, not slaves, but sons that want to be about our father's business. And uh, wow, the privilege, the joy, the challenge. We get to learn about guys like Julia Love who are doing good and being inspired by them. We get to read missionary biographies and stories, watch DVDs and films about things. Because God loves. You and I have this awesome opportunity. The, the unsaved in this town can go to any church. They can come to our carols event. Invite people along to that, hey. Other places, there's not so many churches they can go to. And that's why we go to India, to partner, not just with God. We partner with God, but we go to partner with the body over there to do that as well. Let us pray. God, we are yours. We thank you that we're called according to your purpose. That you've taken our old nature and given us a new nature. That you've given us the privilege of being your ambassadors with a message and ministry of reconciliation. That we've been called to this task of world missions. Called to this privilege of being involved. Lord, help us know that the partnership, the unity with you in it, that it is your work and that we are your servants because you want us, because you called us, because you died for us. Help us stand and walk in that in a greater way this week and this year. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name for your kingdom's cause, for your kingdom's cause. Amen.